0: Good morning, my brothers and sisters. I want to begin this morning with a plea to you. We sang a song this morning, asking God to satisfy us. And if you are content with just what we do together on Sunday morning, you will not. song. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> but if you are satisfied with what we do on Sunday mornings, especially with all these troubles, you will not be satisfied. Uh, and I want to give you an illustration of what I mean by that. You can't help but have noticed we've had this Promise from God, not just this week. We had it in two weeks ago when Elder Gordon led us through Genesis 15. We had it right at the beginning when God called Abraham. He said, "I'll make you the father of many nations." Had it again in Genesis 13. And so when I came to this passage uh, at the beginning of this week, and Elder Gordon and I were having a talk, trying to figure out how we would look at the next few passages. Uh, One of the things I thought is maybe I'll do uh, our passage today in 17 and 18 together uh, because we've really, it seemed, covered this material before. And if I might give an analogy, as I started digging deeper into this passage, it was this, I was looking down at a little bubbling stream and all of a sudden a geyser burst forth and just, blew me a hundred feet into the air. There's so much of the goodness and grace and loving kindness of God in his word. And be satisfied by coming every day to his word to hear him and to see his grace and goodness as he desires to express it to you. And I would love to be the pastor of a church that is deeply living out the word of god and seeing his promises and living according to every word that he has spoken and i hope we can see more of that this morning as we see the reaffirmation that god gives to abraham that is filled with new goodness and new grace let's pray father god we thank you for your great and precious word we thank you for the infinite grace and mercy that is in this word for us. And I pray, Lord, that this morning as we come to your word, that you would help us to see one bit more of it, but that this would be part of our lifetime journey of diving deeper into your word and seeing all the blessing that you have for your people, all that you desire for us. And help us, Lord, to grow in our trust in you as we understand and experience all that you have for your people. Uh, We pray, Lord, for Pastor Adam, as he is looking to see the next place that you would lead him, just as you led Abraham so many years ago. We pray, Lord, that you would bring him to a place of prosperity and goodness and grace. And Lord, I pray that you would also help us walk that journey of faithfulness and walk it together, under your sovereign hand, and trusting in your goodness. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. I want you to notice that as we come to the beginning of chapter 17, that we've actually, for us, it's just moving from chapter 16 to 17. For Abraham, Abram at that time still, it is 14 years. Uh, We've had from, in chapter 16, uh, the episode with Hagar and the unfaithfulness, I would say, of Abram and Sarai in involving Hagar in this relationship and, and thinking that they can perhaps help God along by having a son through Sarah's handmaid. And Ishmael is now 13 years old. And so this is now a period of around 14 years later. And so, when we look at what God is doing in the life of Abraham, one of the things that we should see here is a very powerful sense that God is a patient God. Now, from our perspective, we might sometimes think God acts very slowly. And, you know, God's time is not our time, but it does seem that God sometimes waits a lot longer than maybe He needs to in order for us to receive the kind of things that we are waiting for, longing for. In fact, that we know God has desired for us. So Many of you perhaps are thinking about marriage and you've been waiting for marriage. Why isn't it happening sooner? And we know that God's designed us for marriage, for man and woman to be united together one of the things that can perhaps help is as we look here at chapter 17. Why is it that God takes so long to bring about an heir for Abraham? In our cell group, one of the questions that we've asked it from time to time is why couldn't Christ have come sooner? I mean, you have the sin of Adam and Eve, the garden, and then all this with Abraham, and then you're going to have the history of Israel. And it's not until thousands of years later that Christ would come. Why does God take so long in bringing about the kind of things that we need? Well, one aspect of it is not that God just chooses to take a long time. But rather, God, it is God who is incredibly patient with us, as we piddle around with our desires, our very earthly hopes and dreams, our very narrow-minded and self-centered desires. But God patiently works with us to prepare us To receive not just the small minded little desires of our heart, but God is preparing, as we see here, Abraham, he is preparing a man to be the father of a nation, and a nation which will one day bring about the coming of the Messiah, who will be the deliverer of all the world. But for God, To do something like this takes time because God does not act independently from His people, but He acts in partnership with His people. God here gives humanity a certain dignity. God is partnering with Abraham, not just using. We've talked about this distinction before. God doesn't use Abraham just as an instrument to be used and then discarded. But God is preparing a partner who has a place in his plan, who will both trust in him, which is a reversal from the fall, right? In the fall, Adam and Eve did not trust God, but God is developing here a partner who will trust him and who he will work with and through in order to accomplish His purpose. And there is zero compromise on the part of God. God does not say, okay, that's good enough. God has exactly the perfect and best design for ourselves, for our church, for this world. And he will accomplish it exactly the way that it will be accomplished. And so God is working for the sanctification of Abraham. I mean, we just saw in the last passage, Abraham, despite all these years of walking with God, walking with God probably a lot more faithfully than you or I. And yet, still in chapter 16, I mean, it's very understandable, right? At that point in time, Sarai's in her 70s. How's a 70-year-old woman going to give birth? At this point, I think, Abraham thinks, I've waited long enough. It's obviously not happening through Sarai. Maybe we can do it a different way. But there was a purpose and there was a reason that God was making him wait. And primary among them was the sanctification of Abraham. But there were many other things that are working alongside that. There is a reason behind everything that God does. And part of our sanctification process is to learn to trust God as he does things in his way, in his time, because his time is best. And his time is also our time, because that time that he uses is time of preparation. It's individual preparation. It's preparation of a community. And so God is working in Abraham's life to prepare him to be a great man. But to be the kind of man that God needs him to be takes time, as Abraham learns to walk with God by faith. God is also preparing a community. God gave through Abraham and his sons all sorts of, you can read through the Old Testament, it is full of signs that tell us who the Messiah is meant to be. Prophecies concerning him and what he would do. Illustrations showing us his nature. And think about it, you have thousands of years of this preparation pointing us to who the Messiah had to be. One of the questions uh, with respect to the scripture is with respect to this idea of mystery. You know, there's divine mystery in what God does. And there's two aspects of it. One aspect of it is that there's mystery in God because His ways are above us. He is transcendent. And so some of what He does is beyond our understanding until he reveals it to us. And part of that revealing takes time as God develops our understanding of his nature and he shows us who he is. And then we develop the categories to understand who God is. But another aspect of the mystery is this. Our hearts are very hard and we do not want the kind of Messiah that we need. Jesus is exactly who we needed him to be. But he wasn't the kind of Messiah that we wanted. And so you think that after, from the time of Abraham, 1,500 years and Israel still couldn't recognize the Messiah when God finally sent him to us. There is a certain hardness of heart. Think about the the disciples on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus doesn't say, okay, now that we've done everything, you can understand what's going on here. You slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures have taught. And so when we think about God and his timing, we do need to understand this. God does it in the best time. And the best time is the best time for us as he works in our lives, as he prepares us for the journey that each one of us will be on. And that's not an easy lesson, especially today. I mean, one of the things that Irene and I saw this week that was just a little shocking to us, so um, I kept her up a little bit late on Friday night because I was trying to get enough of my sermon done that I wouldn't be panicking on Saturday. And then around three o'clock in the morning, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I, 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 uh, I started looking at like you know, um, online shopping, seeing if I th- might want to get something. Elder Gordon might be familiar with something like that. But uh, so I, I found some uh, swimsuits for the boys, and I thought, oh, this is great. Then I can. Take then I got back to work. But I asked Irene, could you order these swimsuits? So she ordered them at 3 a.m. They were at our door before we woke up the next morning. <laughs> I was just like, okay. Um, But we're not used to waiting in a a culture like this. And when it comes to learning to wait upon God, I think I've experienced both sides of the equation where I haven't waited upon God and I've gone after something that I shouldn't go after. And then I regret later on. And there have been times when I have waited and God's taught me the goodness of trusting in him. Um, And so, right here at the beginning, when we see that God has Abraham, and there is a purpose to all these years, and even after the birth of Ishmael, 14 more years before God comes, and Abraham still doesn't have that heir, but he tells him, it will come through Sarah. No longer Sarai, who will be the mother of nations. And so let's look at what God gives us in this reaffirmation of this covenant. And so is God simply reiterating what He's already stated in Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3, chapter 13, verses 14 to 17, chapter 15, verses 4 to 5, and 18 to 19? And what you will see is this. And this is just, To me, when I saw this, it was amazing. Because every time God comes back to Abraham to tell him of this promise, it's not just the promise. It's the promise plus. And in one sense, you have to think this would be almost, in a sense, maddening for Abraham, right? Because so many years ago when he he came to him in Haran, he said, leave your father's house and I will do these things. And God keeps coming back to him, and every time he comes back to him, he says, I'm going to do this for you, and he adds something to it. And so every cycle, God makes more and more extravagant promises and fulfills none of them. Every time God comes to Abraham, he promises him more. And yet to this point, what has Abraham received? Remember, there's two primary aspects to this covenant, and we'll see what's being added. And if you want to go back and look at some of the previous passages, you'll be able to dig in and see that there is always something more. But the two main components are this. First is that promise of innumerable descendants. I'll make you a mighty nation. Many peoples will come from you. Well, we're still waiting on that first one, how are you going to be many, many nations coming from Sarah, Sarai or Sarah when she doesn't even have one child? And she's almost 90 years old. Second is the promise of land. And here's, here's an interesting thing. Elder Gordon led us through chapter 15 a few weeks ago. When is Abraham going to get this land? Well, he is himself almost 100 now. He doesn't have the land. But if you read chapter 15 closely, you realize he dies without the land. And so God is coming to Abraham over and over, and he's making him these promises, and the promises keep getting bigger and bigger, and yet Abraham gets none of it. Okay, And what do we take from that? A God who makes more and more extravagant promises and delivers, not yet, on any of them. Well, first is that one of God's purposes is clearly to build a man of faith. Abraham, Abraham isn't being treated like a child. Those of you who are parents know that one of the challenges we have is how do you get your children to put off that immediate gratification? How do you build that relationship with your children where they learn to trust? And even though they don't get what they want right now, the response is not to start stamping their feet in anger, but to trust, mom and dad love me. If it's good, I'll get it at the right time. But God is building a man of faith A man who learns to trust that God's way is best. And you see along the way, God is allowing Abraham to make these mistakes. And what we have recorded in Scripture is many mistakes by Abraham and his descendants. And yet God continues to work patiently with them because he is bringing Abraham to that point of faith. And that work goes on today, no question. Out of each one of you, he's building a man and a woman of faith. And in that is another lesson, which is that we learn to depend upon God for what we cannot do ourselves. And this is very clearly being demonstrated in Abraham's life, and the New Testament writers also write about this. Abraham and Sarah are biologically dead. They have no biological worth. They have no ability at this point in time to reproduce. At this point in time, uh, Abraham does live much longer than us and so does Sarai on average. But at the same time, uh, the way of woman, we are told, has long ago ceased. When you're not having your period anymore, you're not gonna have children. She's dead, Abraham's dead. And the deadness of Abraham and Sarah's ability to have children echoes something else that's dead, right? There's a deadness in you, and there's a deadness in me. Before God, apart from his grace and mercy, we are dead in our sins and trespasses, and we have no desire to follow God. We have no desire to honor him and to seek his will before our own. And we have to learn And part of the purpose of God making Abraham and Sarah wait till this time is that we are to learn that our God is one who makes the dead live again. And when we see that, we also see the importance that God does things in his way. There are many of his laws that we don't understand. One of the controversial ones in the church today Why is it that there's this distinction between the roles of men and women? This is something that runs very contrary to our society and culture today. Be what you want to be, do what you want to do. Don't let other people's limitations hinder you. And yet, God in his sovereignty says, we're gonna do things in a certain way. My ways are best, and the question is, will we trust God. And so coming into this passage now, what is it that we get in this passage where we see that God will now begin to expand upon these promises that He has been reiterating over and over through these chapters in Genesis? Well, the first thing we see is that God renames Abram to Abraham. His change of name reflects this change of identity. I am making you someone new. And you will be the father of many nations. And we saw last week how God worked even through the faithlessness of Abram and Sarai with Hagar and Ishmael. And so let's go on to the next thing that we can see here. And I want you to notice something very important in verses seven and eight. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give the land for an everlasting possession. I want to ask you, how can this happen? Two possibilities, right? If God is going to keep this covenant, this promise to Abraham, two ways he could do it. The first way he could do it is this. Abraham can have a child, and that child could have a child, and that child could have a child, and so on and so on throughout eternity. We have to have an unbroken, unending line, world without end, for this covenant to be an everlasting covenant. Possibility two. Abraham has an unbroken Unending life, world without end. Do you see the import of this? What is the implication of what God has just promised to Abraham? Eternal life, a new creation. We've talked about the importance of waiting upon God. But what if you die before you get married? What if you die before you accomplish the dreams that you intended to accomplish, before you cross off many items on your bucket list? Well, join Abraham. He waits his whole life before God finally comes to him in this passage and says, this time next year, finally a son. The land, it's an everlasting possession for you. You're going to die before you get it. How can God keep this promise to Abraham? How do you get the land for an everlasting possession if you're going to die? You have to have a new life. There has to be a new creation. See, we can dispense with that first possibility, that of an unending line, child after child in favor of eternal life. Do you see what God says to him in verse 7? I will be God to you in an everlasting covenant. Remember how Jesus answered the Sadducees and the Sadducees were disputing that question of the resurrection? And, And Jesus' reply to these experts in the law, you err because you do not know the power of God, nor the scriptures. And you remember what verse he quotes? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Right here, in Genesis chapter 17, we have the Guarantee of eternal life and a new creation. Canaan is given to Abraham for an everlasting possession. In chapter 15 of Genesis, in verses 13 to 15, we know that Abraham will not inherit it before he dies. What does that mean? Abraham will receive them after he dies and so when we look at that what can we say well foolish Sadducees who do not know the power of God nor the scriptures and foolish me and you when we don't wait upon God and we take matters into our own hands and we choose to sin to obtain the temporary desire of our hearts in favor over the promises of an infinite, eternal, loving God. But God is patient, and so just as he teaches Abraham, just as he taught the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I am a faithful God. You learn to trust in me, and though you die, With your eyes you will see me and you will see the fulfillment of all the promises that I have given you. One final point this morning. And so as we see the development of what God is doing here, first we see that, yes, you have these promises, I will keep these promises to you and here we see the way I will keep these promises to you I will give you eternal life. I will make a new creation. And we also see here that the decision to participate in the covenant is a choice. No one is compelled to participate in this covenant. God does not force the covenant either upon Abraham or any of his descendants. Now, on the one hand, do they earn the promises that God gives them, and the answer to that is no. But there is a sign that God gives to Abraham and his descendants. If you would remain in this covenant, if you would not be cut off from my covenant and cut off from my relationship with you, there's something you must do. And it is this sign of circumcision. Now, uh, many of you will be familiar with the idea that there are many different ways that circumcision is looked at in terms of especially the church today. And there are many churches and uh, denominations that feel that baptism is basically the replacement for circumcision. I think that is too simplistic an analysis because there's both continuity and discontinuity in terms of how that sign of circumcision continues to this day. Uh, part of it is what, what, what the, mark of circumcision due for the covenant community in Abraham's time. It marked you as either in or out of the covenant. You were either in the community if you had this mark or you were out of the community if you did not have this mark. And we see the development, so just like with Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with him, there's also development in this idea of circumcision. And there's many passages that deal with it. I'll take you to just a few of them today. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse six. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And so there was a certain mark that was a choice that showed you were a member of the covenant community And there was another way in which you would be able to participate in the covenant community that God was one day going to make, a greater kind of covenant community, the kind of community that you are in today, and that is his church. And that mark is an inward mark. It is the mark of a transformed heart. What saves you? You're not saved by praying a prayer with your Sunday school teacher. You're not saved by being baptized. There are a lot of baptized people who will go to hell. But if you have the seal of the Holy Spirit in your heart, the power of the Holy Spirit working to transform you, if your heart has been circumcised Deuteronomy chapter 30 says, you will live. Colossians, Paul picks up on this in Colossians chapter two, verses 11 and 12. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. A uh, similar passage, Romans chapter two, verses 25 to 29. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And so, I hope this morning, as we see these extravagant promises that God has made to Abraham, I will be your God, and I am not the God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham, you have eternal life. But there was a response that God asked of Abraham. Will you respond in faith? Will it be your choice and the choice of your descendants to enter into this covenant community? And the way you do that is by circumcision. And in a similar way, the choice is before each one of you today. Will you enter into this covenant community of God, the church, by circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart? In other words, are you living that transformed life? life of obedience, the life of repentance, where you see how you've been living, and you understand, I no longer can live in the way I have been living. One of the most powerful conversions I've ever witnessed in my life, there was a fellow in my previous church who just, uh, he had come to church a few times with his wife and just was really friendly and loved to talk about sports, and but just had very little interest in any, any spiritual matters. and I remember there was one Sunday morning. I was sitting in the sanctuary. It was a combined service, which we all know and love because we all love translated sermons because you get to hear everything twice, and if you miss it the first time, you can maybe get it the second time. Actually, most of us don't like that, right? <laughs> but, and so it was during one of the translated parts. I just turned around because I was looking around, and I saw this guy, and even just... Physically, you could see there was something different. Here's this guy who had no interest in church whatsoever, and he was sitting in this translated service. He had his cap off, which he always used to wear, and his eyes were just locked on the preacher. And I thought, that is really weird. And I went up to him after the service, and I just said, hey, Mike, uh, I couldn't notice. It It just seemed like there's something different today. And he said, oh, yeah. He'd been driving through Iowa. Out and out of nowhere, God just put it in his head. After he went to a bar and was drinking, okay. I need to read the word of God. I'll go back to my hotel room where they'll have one of those Gideon Bibles. And he goes back and he does that Bible study method we all say don't do. He just opened it up, put his finger down and read. And it said, you must no longer live in the way you have been living. Right there. You pass from death into life. And that's the choice for each one of us today. God's calling you to a new life. If you receive him and it's your choice, just as it was the choice of the Israelites so many years ago to be circumcised or not, but will you ask the Lord Jesus into your heart, repent of your sins and live according to his truth. If you do, he will be faithful and you will be marked with the unfailing mark of life and life abundant where all of God's promises will one day be yours. We're privileged this morning because we're going to have the opportunity to hear the testimony of someone in our church who has lived many years faithfully before the Lord. And I think it's a great blessing for us that we have faithful brothers and sisters. Uh, Many of them are elders in the church who we can hear and learn from and see if God has kept his promises to them and they are trusting in those future promises, I too can trust. And so I'm going to close in prayer and then Mrs. Ott, I'm going to ask you to come forward and share your testimony with us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these great and precious promises revealed so many years ago to Abraham of an everlasting covenant to be our God and to give an everlasting inheritance in the land, a promise that we who trust in you will never miss out on life but we'll have the very best because it is what you would give and you desire to give the very best. No one who trusts in you will regret that decision. And so I pray, Lord, that you would now work through the testimony of our beloved sister, Mrs. Ott, and through her testimony, help us to see that we too my trust in you as she has walked with you these many years and experienced your goodness and your faithfulness and we pray this in Jesus Christ's name amen Listen up.